Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. I'll now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. What if a cyber brain could possibly generate its own ghost and then create a soul all by itself? And if it did, just what would be the importance of being human then? In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 80, wow 80 episodes, Ghost in the Shell. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. Um, so first of all, uh, thank you for being here, I hope you're keeping healthy and well, that is the most important thing right now. And welcome to episode 80, uh, we are so close to 100 episodes now, um, and this is episode 6 of Animation Season 2021. And as always, I really genuinely hope it's bringing you as much joy as it's bringing me. Um, And whether you're a returning listener or a brand new listener, you are very welcome. This season specifically is going to run through January and February. And it showcases 10 animated movies from different countries, different animation styles, different languages uh, and different studios. But basically just to highlight great animated movies. And that's because animation is something that I am a big fan of. I'm very passionate about a couple of episodes ago, uh, I put out an episode on Chicken Run. And I have to say uh, a big thank you for the exceptionally positive chicken feedback. That's not a pun, it doesn't work. Um, but anyway, for Chicken Run, um, because it was a lot of fun to talk about Chicken Run. It seems a bit of a forgotten movie in many respects. Um, I love it, though. Um, and it's many links to Shrek, which is obviously the movie that just predates this one. And, you know, when you think of Chicken Run and Shrek... I mean, Ghost in the Shell is a complete departure. It's pretty much a complete departure from anything that I've covered in this particular animation season. So this episode follows Coco, The Secret of Nim, Your Name, Chicken Run and Shrek. And this movie proves, if anything needs to, and it doesn't need to, but if it does, that animation is not just for children. And nor is animation a genre. Because this is pure science fiction. It has adult themes, it has plenty of violence. And, you know, while older kids can watch it and get a lot out of it, 
you know, it is a vastly intellectual story with deep philosophical roots that honestly uh, has taken me a few watches to truly kind of understand. And, and to be honest, there's probably a loads more in there that I haven't fully deciphered because it is a very layered, complex, uh, existential movie. But I really, really wanted to talk about Ghost in the Shell. Um, so without further ado, let's have a listen to the trailer for Ghost in the Shell. Ghost in the Shell is the next generation of animated feature entertainment. The story centers around a life form that evolves from the internet, seeking asylum in a cybernetic human host. The semi-cybernetic team sent to counter this incredible situation are forced to question the meaning of their own lives while engaged in a non-stop, action-packed fight against an unseen enemy. Police! Everyone, hit the ground! All your memories about your wife and your daughter are false and are more like a dream. With production values exceeding the legendary Akira and a gripping storyline, this picture represents the leading edge in the new animated entertainment genre and marks a milestone in the future of feature-length animated filmmaking for young adult audiences. Ghost in the Shell. Released theatrically worldwide, fall 1995. It's the year 2029. Technology has advanced so far that cyborgs are commonplace. In addition, human brains can connect to the internet directly. Major Matako Kusanagi is an officer in Section 9, an elite secretive police division that deals with special operations, including counter-terrorism and cybercrime. She is currently on the trail of the Puppet Master, a cybercriminal who hacks into the brains of cyborgs in order to obtain information and to commit other crimes. So we'll go through the cast, and as always, for movies that are subtitled or dubbed, I list Japanese and English voice actors. The main reason for that is I don't care if you prefer watching your anime subbed or dubbed. It really doesn't bother me. Um, the thing that bothers me is when people choose not to watch a movie like this because it's subbed or dubbed. Just watch it. <laughs> However you choose to watch it is fine by me. So... Um, we have Atsuko Tanaka and Mimi Woods as Major Mutoko Kusanagi, Akio Otsuka and Richard Epcar as Batu, Ayamasa Kayumi or Yoshiko Sakakibira and Tom Weiner as the Puppet Master, Koichi Yamadera and Christopher Joyce as Tobusa, and Tamiya Oki and William Frederick Knight as Chief Aramaki. The reason I mentioned Ayamasa Kayumi or Yoshiko Sakakibara is that Aimasi Kayumi did the voice of the Puppet Master in the original version and Yoshiko Sakakibara redid the voice for Ghost in the Shell 2.0 and I will come to the difference between Ghost in the Shell and Ghost in the Shell 2.0 in a little bit. The screenplay was by Kazunori Ito. It was based on Ghost in the Shell by Masamuni Shiro and it was directed by Mamoru Oshii. And as always, apologies if I get any pronunciations of Japanese names incorrect. Uh, it's not my intention. Uh, I genuinely always try my best to get the pronunciations correct. 
So Ghost in the Shell or Kokaku Kidotai uh, started with the manga, of course, which spawned a multitude of books, anime and games, as well as, you know, being one of the most influential, well-respected and beloved anime movies ever made, uh, especially to a Western audience. But I want to start this episode with a guy called Gilbert Ryle. He was a British philosopher who coined the phrase ghost in the machine when critiquing Cartesian dualism, which argued the two kinds of foundation of dualism, mental and physical. The philosophy states that the mental can exist outside of the body. It's also called substance dualism, that immortal souls occupy an independent reality of existence distinct from that of the physical world. Arthur Koltzler wrote a book in 1967, also called The Ghost in the Machine, which describes in details the Cartesian dualist account of the mind-body relationship, that the mind of a person is not an independent entity governing the body, and it tempts to explain humanity's self-destructive tendencies. And this is all remarkably relevant to Ghost in the Shell, which borrows the term ghost from Arthur Koestler's book. Ghost in the Shell was created by Masamuni Shiro, who wrote and illustrated the manga series, which was first serialised in 1989 as The Ghost in the Shell, and then as an independent book detailing cyber-terrorist organisation Section 9, led by Major Motoko Kusanagi. Major Kusanagi, or just Major, is the main protagonist of the series and is a synthetic, full-body, prosthetic, augmented, cybernetic human. Uh, Try saying that ten times really fast. She is a mass production model. This was so she could not be distinguished from other cybernetic humans and would not have any special parts because technically she has a lot of special parts. She would not be targeted by criminals who would want to harvest those parts. And I want to talk about the themes of gender identity and sexuality a bit later, but Motoko Kusanagi is is a feminine being. Uh, However, although having an overtly sexualised female body, technically she's not female. And this is something that canonically is true from the writers of Ghost in the Shell. Motoko, as a being, is genderless. She presents as female and she's feminine, and so she's given feminine pronouns. However, she's also not treated as a typical female in Ghost in the Shell. You know, she commands an all-male team, for example. She has authority, but she's also the most artificial being in that team. And I find that quite fascinating about her, so I, I will come back to that in a little bit. So when I'm talking about Ghost in the Shell, for this episode, I'm talking about the 1995 anime film. Uh, there have been several book series, as well as other animated films, including Ghost in the Shell 2, Innocence, in 2004. It's not a direct sequel to this movie. Um, Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex, Solid State Society, which came out in 2006, which was the movie of the Standalone Complex animated series, Ghost in the Shell 2.0, um, which I said I would explain. So Ghost in the Shell 2.0 is the same as Ghost in the Shell from 1995, but... Um, Let's just say it's been updated. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go into that in a little bit as well. Um, Ghost in the Shell, the new movie in 2015. And then you go into the animated series. So you have Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex. Ghost in the Shell SAC Second Gig, which was the second season to Standalone Complex. Ghost in the Shell Arise Alternative Architecture. And Ghost in the Shell SAC underscore 2045 as well as Senai Manga and video games for PlayStation, PlayStation 2, PlayStation Portable. Basically, Ghost in the Shell is everywhere. It's all-encompassing, which leads me to the very near future, as in today is 2021, because we're going forward in time to 2029, uh, which is only eight years from now. Um, It's only eight years 
till this version, this Ghost in the Shell reality becomes reality. And honestly, the way things are going right now, I can imagine human brains being transplanted into machines in eight years time. Um, <laughs> that's one way to get rid of coronavirus. Ghost in the Shell was a Japanese-British co-production between Kodansha, Bandai Visual and Manga Entertainment. Manga Entertainment rather confusingly primarily distribute and produce anime, not manga. Uh, and they are a British company. The animation studio is Production IG. They had worked with director Mamori Oshii on Pat Labour 2, the movie in 1993, which received positive reviews. Uh, they also worked on the animated sequence from Kill Bill as well. It was Oshii's work on Pat Labour that inspired him to work on a film adaptation of Ghost in the Shell, especially on the topic of the influence and power of computers. Something that was just coming into mainstream everyday life for regular people in 1995. And I'm old enough to remember what it was like in 1995. And I also remember around that time, probably a couple of years later, I bought my first PC. And I mean, it was an astronomical price, genuinely. I don't, I remember my dad taking me to, I think it was like a PC world or something. And I spent the best part of £2,000 on a desktop PC with a massive CRT monitor. It was the most ridiculously expensive, important thing I'd ever bought in my life. Computers were becoming very mainstream at the time. They were expensive, but they were also sort of affordable as well to quite a lot of people. So you kind of have to bear that in mind when you look at a film like Ghost in the Shell, which came out in 95. During this time, home computing was becoming a thing. Dial-up internet was becoming a thing because uh, internet back then was not like internet now. Uh, it was all done to the telephone line. You couldn't be on the phone at the time. You had modems that made terrible noise. So this movie felt really futuristic. I mean, you look at it now and you kind of think, well, this could be in eight years from now. But back in 95, this was pretty state-of-the-art stuff. And sort of talking about state-of-the-art stuff, I mentioned about Ghost in the Shell 2.0. So it was actually Mamoru Oshii's choice to go back and reimagine and re-release Ghost in the Shell as Ghost in the Shell 2.0. Uh, he wanted a new modern perspective on the existing movie. And, and this is actually the version of the movie that I own on DVD. And so I've actually never seen Ghost in the Shell 1995 as it was released in 1995. Because when it came to buying the DVD, I bought Ghost in the Shell 2.0 because I didn't know any better. Genuinely, I didn't. Uh, and it was a double pack as well with Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence. And I kind of feel a bit sad that I, I genuinely never seen the original, original version. Um, I mean, the two comparably are pretty much the same. Um, so Ghost in the Shell 2.0, it just includes some more CG animated scenes of, you know, helicopters. There's a couple of scenes of Mutako swimming. It's like a CG version of her. Sometimes it's a little bit jarring. Um, I'm not going to lie. And it, it's not that 2.0 is bad. It feels a little bit like, the best way I can describe it is it feels like it's been Lucased a little bit. You know, when you take these beautifully traditionally animated moments, I mean, they did use CG in Ghost in the Shell, but majority of it was traditional animation. Um, and then you kind of <laughs> stick these very rudimentary mid 2000 CG on the animation. It kind of doesn't really work. And I mean, it was state of the art at the time, obviously, there's no doubt, but it hasn't aged 
particularly well sort of when we're talking about Ghost in the Shell 2.0. The original 1995 animation, as I said, was a mix of traditional cell animation and CG animation, classed as a digitally generated animation, which was quite groundbreaking at the time. Mutoko's thermo-optic camouflage was rendered through Tima software, which manipulates the image to distort in combination with the background without altering the original shape of the illustration. Um, it's one of the many parts of Ghost in the Shell, and there are a lot of parts of this movie that have been imitated in other films going forward. So in this 2029, human minds can not only be transplanted into shells, but human minds can be hacked. Memories can be altered and even inserted. You don't even get me started on the total recallness of it all. Cyber terrorists in 2029, they don't want your bank details anymore. They want your consciousness. We become the machines. We get regular patches, updates, enhancements, just like we do with the machines that we have right now. We get replaced if we become substandard. You know, your PlayStation 4 gets replaced with a PlayStation 5. It talks about cybernetic enhancements, like things like livers, hearts and limbs. And presumably, although not explicitly mentioned, sexual organs uh, can be replaced or added. It essentially removes the human part of being human. The fallibility of the human body is erased from society. You know, if you've got a, a cancerous organ, you would just replace it. If you lost a body part in an accident, or your whole body, like Motoko Kusanagi, you could get a whole new body that doesn't just do normal things, but extraordinary things. You can become stronger, faster, camouflaged, but the downside is you then have that body owned by a government agency. So you can effectively never retire. And I think this is one of the things that I really love about Ghost in the Shell is Ghost in the Shell is very much a product of its time, but it's also a stark warning of where our future is heading. And like all great science fiction, remains relevant, um, but kind of becomes even more so as our lives become so intrinsically linked to being connected because we've become so reliant on it to the point that if we lose or misplace our phones, it's panic station. In fact, one of the good things about having to work from home right now is I can no longer leave my phone at home and be completely bereft <laughs> at the office. Um, the furthest I leave it now is the bedroom and it's like 15 steps away. It's amazing how connected we've become to being connected. And it is a bit like a disease, it's, it's, it's an addiction. And it's something that is just getting worse in society as well. I mentioned gender identity, and it's something that I want to briefly touch on because Motoko Kusanagi, as I said, uh, she identifies as a woman and we call her a woman without question, despite the fact that technically she's not a woman. And despite the fact that the movie clearly states that sexual reproduction is not possible. The subbed version of the movie does mention uh, a, a comment about it being that time of the month, um, but that's kind of more in the way of a dry joke. But it's important to clarify something because when you look at a movie like Ghost in the Shell and you see a character like Motoko Kusanagi, uh, the fact that she doesn't have periods doesn't make her less of a woman or make her think that she's not a woman. And if I need to spell it out to you, I will spell it out to you. And that's trans women are women and trans men are men and trans rights are human rights. And I think the easiest way to explain trans women are women is to look at an example like Ghost in the Shell, where anyone who was watching Ghost in the Shell would see Motoko Kusanagi and would say, well, she's a woman because she presents as a woman. She calls herself a woman. 
and therefore she is a woman. It doesn't matter if she doesn't have female parts. She is a woman as far as everyone around her is concerned. It's something that I've always quite strongly believed in um, about trans rights and about trans people having the respect that they deserve. And it's something that has really kind of stood out to me watching a movie like Ghost in the Shell because there is no way that anyone, I think, would turn around and say that Motoko Kusanagi is not female. Ghost in the Shell does a remarkable job at explaining gender identity, how it's not mutually exclusive to sexual identity, um, and that gender is actually a social construct. You can argue that it's science fiction and it doesn't matter, and, you know, that these are cyborgs and they're not people, but there's still a human brain in that body. It's not a case of this is a puppet or this is a robot. There are parts of human beings in this person, and the brain of this person is female. Her conversations with the puppet master about his suggestion that they merge is not a sexual one and not a copy of either one. Uh, like, a, like a virus would constantly replicate itself, but as a combination of their identities into a new being, it's genetic reproduction without genetics. The movie makes an excellent point on humanity's desire to reproduce their genetic code, to take the parts of two people, to make something wholly original and to create variety rather than clones. Ideally, the best parts of those people, that's not always the case, but the puppet master summarises it beautifully. And he says, It can also be argued that DNA is nothing more than a programme designed to preserve itself. Life has become more complex in the overwhelming sea of information. And life, when organised into species, relies upon genes to be its memory system. So man is an individual only because of his intangible memory. And memory cannot be defined, but it defines mankind. The advent of computers and the subsequent accumulation of incalculable data has given rise to a new system of memory and thought parallel to your own. Humanity has underestimated the consequences of computerization. Ghost in the Shell examines what it actually means to be human by having the ghost part, the part that remains intact, despite all the technological upgrades. The ghost is what makes us individual, not the shell. Your inner being, your very soul, makes you unique. You're the only person who thinks like you do. You might agree with the consensus of a certain group of people. You might vote a certain way, for example. You might buy the same brand of bread as millions of others, but your combined being is completely unique. In a way, it's kind of the shell that lets you down. Because if you could enhance yourself, eradicate the chance of disease and even death, you've got to ask the question, well, would you do that? And it's a question that I've often asked myself after watching this movie. If I was presented with this option of becoming enhanced, would I do it? Would the benefit outweigh the cost? And I think that's one of the great things about Ghost in the Shell is it's not just this revered cyberpunk classic. It genuinely makes you think. Uh, it makes you question. It stands up there with Akira as being a gateway into anime for so many people and obviously shows the multiple facets of Japanese filmmaking because you can have these existential cyberpunk aesthetic of Ghost in the Shell, as well as, you know, the more traditionally family-orientated fare with sort of deep anti-war and environmental messages of Miyazaki, to the kind of soul-searching human tragedy of your name, and it's all coming from the same country. Um, and I think that's what kind of infuriates me when people say, I don't like anime, more frustratingly for me, animation is just for kids. They're forgetting that animation is such a rich visual varied medium with all these different animated styles 
following all these different genres. And I genuinely don't think that anyone who says that they've enjoyed Blade Runner or Total Recall or The Matrix, uh, for example, or basically anything remotely science fiction based, especially but not exclusively the works of Philip K. Dick, uh, as he's the only writer I can think of who feels comparable to this. I feel like they can't say that they would not enjoy Ghost in the Shell. I've never been the biggest fan of Blade Runner, personally, because I prefer Blade Runner 2049. I know that's sacrilegious, but it's kind of true. But the fingerprints of the visuals of Blade Runner are all through Oishi's animation. It's stunningly pretty. And that's even with the updates of Ghost in the Shell 2.0. Uh, as much as I lament the updates that they made for 2.0, the vast majority of the animation is so beautifully done. And there was a live action adaptation of this movie made in Hollywood. And for this episode, I watched both Ghost in the Shell 2.0 and I followed that with the 2017 Scarlett Johansson movie. And here's the thing. Ghost in the Shell 2017 is not a terrible movie. It takes the basic premise um, it adds some beautiful, I might add, shot-for-shot -shot remake scenes. It adds some things that actually make it feel a bit more problematic than it actually could have been. Um, and obviously it is slightly problematic um, in itself. And I suppose at this point, it might be a good idea to address the elephant in the room, which is the whitewashing claims uh, of Ghost in the Shell 2017. And these claims actually came from fans of the anime, it was widely recognised by people in Japan that this was going to be a Western version of the story with a white actress in the main role. Japanese women often hold white beauty in high esteem and the casting of Scarlett Johansson, who is a well-respected, award-winning, incredibly beautiful woman, was seen as a very positive thing. Mamoru Oishi claimed his expectations of Johansson were exceeded and Kodansha's director of international business, Samuel Shiba, thought Johansson was well cast. And... To be fair, it has got a good cast in the movie. Uh, you've got Beat Takeshi as Chief Aramaki, and Pilo Azbek as Batu is also incredibly well cast as well. And as for Scarlett Johansson, um, she is actually really good. Um, she brings this very intense physicality to the role. She's not really given much of a decent script, to be fair, but action-wise, she actually does feel quite right for this part. Um, to me, the movie fails because of the ending. Because the plot of the movie is kind of... It kind of follows the same basic beats, but it's not the same plot. And so the ending is different. Um, and spoilers for Ghost in the Shell 2017, by the way. But Johansson's character is called Mira Killian. And throughout the movie, she is named Mira. She is not Motoko Kusanagi. She is Mira Killian... And we find out at the end that Mira Killian used to be a Japanese runaway named Motoko Kusanagi. So the brain that is in the body, so the ghost in the shell of Mira Killian is of a Japanese runaway called Motoko Kusanagi. So her memories are wiped and replaced with new ones, including a new backstory for Mira. Mira eventually finds her Japanese birth mother and reconnects with her. And this is kind of where the story falls apart a little bit, because up, up to that point, you can believe Mira as the brain behind this cyborg body. And the story with the puppet master, who's like a prototype version of Mira, a failed version of what Mira would eventually become. But then it kind of makes her origin story as 
she was originally Japanese and they've put her brain into a white girl's body. And to me, I kind of feel like, okay, they wanted the Motoko Kusanagi reference, but that pushes the whitewashing argument a little bit more than it would have done if the character had just been Miracillian for the whole movie. And it's kind of sad, really, because most people probably would think that Ghost in the Shell 2017 was more accessible. It being a live action movie, a lot of people would prefer it. But as I said, I mean, it is a very, very toned down version of the story. I do, however, feel like that particular movie was given an incredibly short shift. It's not as good by any stretch of the imagination, but visually it's very pleasing. It has some beautiful cinematography, including, as I said, some absolutely stunningly done shot for shot scenes and especially watching the two one after the other it was very clear which scenes were shot for shot remakes sometimes they were kind of put in for no reason but okay I'll, I'll let it slide they were pretty and the story was not the story of that movie is not as complex it's not as interesting it's not as rich and you certainly won't leave that 2017 movie thinking about life or yourself or soul or asking who you are and despite some serious concern because uh, I didn't see it at cinema I, I actually got it on blu-ray I was quite excited to see it but I kind of just left feeling that they could have done so much more with that material and I don't know if it was a bit of studio interference going on I'm not too sure obviously this is not an episode about that movie but I felt that like it was quite important to talk about that movie to be perfectly honest if you want a live action movie that is similar to Ghost in the Shell or inspired by Ghost in the Shell, or the Ghost in the Shell took inspiration from. The movie took inspiration, as I said, from the likes of Blade Runner. You could also include Blade Runner 2049 in there as well, just from a, a general kind of aesthetic point of view. And probably the most influential and important movie that was influenced by Ghost in the Shell was The Matrix. Um, and the Wachowskis were actually aiming to do an adaptation of Ghost in the Shell, before they actually kind of came about with the idea for The Matrix. It also inspired Ex Machina, uh, AI Artificial Intelligence, the TV series Westworld, uh, James Cameron even cites it as inspiration for Avatar, um, also video games like Metal Gear Solid and the recent Cyberpunk 2077, they all have roots in Ghost in the Shell. And so when I say that Ghost in the Shell is kind of this all-encompassing being, it's not just because of the offshoots of Ghost in the Shell, all of the movies, all of the TV shows, it still inspires sci-fi to this day. That is how influential this movie is. Um, right, let's move on to the obligatory Keanu reference. So this is a part of the podcast where I try to get a Keanu Reeves reference and link it to the movie that I'm featuring. And it's important to note that last week's obligatory Keanu reference was not a link to The Matrix. Um, it would have been easy to link Shrek to The Matrix uh, and then obviously to Keanu Reeves because bullet time is parodied in Shrek. Um, and the reason I didn't do that for Shrek was because <laughs> I knew that Ghost in the Shell was coming up. And I thought, I thought to myself, well, it would be a bit unfair if I link Keanu to Shrek via The Matrix and then link Keanu to Ghost in the Shell via The Matrix as well. Um, but obviously, like I say, Ghost in the Shell inspired The Matrix. So without Major Motoko Kusanagi, we wouldn't have Neo um, and we wouldn't have that iconic role for Keanu Reeves. And we wouldn't have those excellent slow motion gifts that I like using so often. The music for Ghost in the Shell. So 
Composer Kenji Kawai scored the movie and mixed Japanese classical music, Bulgarian harmonies and traditional Japanese notes. The chorals are actually a wedding song sung to dispel evil. Japanese folk singers were used for those particularly haunting tracks. Passengers, not the movie, uh, a collaboration between U2 and Brian Eno, have a song on the English language version of the credits called One Minute Warning, which is from their album Original Soundtracks 1. And that album uh, was actually written for mostly imaginary films, uh, except for three. So Ghost in the Shell had a track on Original Soundtracks 1, as did Miss Sarajevo and Beyond the Clouds. Ghost in the Shell was actually released at the same time in Japan, the UK and the US. That was the first anime film to be released this way. That was to try and bring anime to the mainstream in the main two Western markets. Uh, spoiler alert, that didn't really happen uh, at the time. Um, and that's mainly because it only ended up grossing $10 million worldwide and it failed to recoup its production costs. What saved Ghost in the Shell was, you guessed it, the home video market, where it quickly became a cult classic. Its home release on VHS and DVD would go on to sell more than 1.6 million units worldwide. So yet again, it's the home video market that really saves the day when it comes to a movie like this that doesn't manage to do the business at the box office. It's at this point that I would normally go through all of the sequels <laughs> and everything, but I've already mentioned them. So I'm not going to go through all of those sequels and TV shows and games and everything again. Um, but there is a wealth of Ghost in the Shell out there. Um, there's not much available on streaming services here in the UK, unfortunately. The only Ghost in the Shell movie that is available on streaming is the 2017 version, which, like I said, I wouldn't necessarily say to avoid it. I think it does try to be as faithful as it possibly can to this, but it doesn't succeed because it's trying to aim to a Western audience, whereas Ghost in the Shell, never it was never made for a Western audience. It was made for a Japanese audience, and it just so happened to translate really nicely to Western audiences. Let's move on to social media thoughts. So what I like to do now is I like to get patron thoughts, um, and any patron thoughts, I give a little plug to their podcast if they have one as well. So we'll start with Emily from I Drink Your Podcast. And she said, Ghost in the Shell is what really made me fall in love with anime. I had seen Studio Ghibli, but this movie changed what I thought about animation and storytelling. Major is incredible. The side characters are interesting and relatable. And the world itself immersive and imaginative. I have never seen anything like it. Still one of my absolute favourite movies and shows. And Emily is from the I Drink Your Podcast podcast. I think I said that. Uh, make sure you check out I Drink Your Podcast. Um, I will obviously pop links in the show notes. They purely cover movies from 2007, which is obviously seen as a classic year for film. Um, but they do it with some great style and wit and hilarity. So make sure you check them out. And we have Andy from Geek Salad, who said, I've got a record that I'm not a fan of anime, but I did really enjoy Ghosts in the Shell. It's a beautifully animated film, complete with gorgeous cityscapes, a complex narrative, and has covertly influenced so much of our modern sci-fi. And Geek Salad, as you should know them by now, uh, Andy's pretty regular with his comments. This comment surprised me, actually, because I know he's not the biggest fan of anime. But obviously make sure you find and subscribe to Geek Salad for all your pop culture needs and desires. And obviously some great podcast episodes. I will also put a link in the show notes. 
Right, moving away from the patron comments, we have the comments over on Twitter. So we'll start with at BLC Agnew, who said, Come for the trailblazing visuals and dynamic action. Stay for the story of found family, identity and evolving sense of self. Ghost in the Shell is an icon of the medium for a reason, one which subsequent sequels and adaptations have never fully recaptured. At Shaw underscore Grand said, We did a whole episode on it. Long story short, overrated. At that sequel guy said, Cyberpunk greatness and a genre-defining viewing experience during my formative years. Also, Kenji Kawai's score remains haunting but hypnotic. My love for Japanese culture, games, manga and anime was spearheaded by both this and Cyber City Odo 808. At Cap Understand said, Visually, this film blows my mind every time I see any piece of it. At Oral and Scrum FC said, A fantastic adaptation of the manga, but I wish they had stuck closer to Masamuni Shiro's aesthetic. Still, the scene of the Major tearing her shell apart to destroy the spider tank is forever burned in my brain. Kind of sad there were no tachycomas, though. I think I said that right, I'm not sure. And at Flamebrain39 said, It's definitely one of the most influential anime films out there, and it helped popularise anime in the West, proving that animation doesn't have to be a children's medium to be successful. And of course, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, we don't have any comments over on Instagram this time, but we do have one comment over on Facebook, which is from Joe, who says, The movie is equal to some of the greatest in anime. The major is a complex person and a lot can be said about her. The other characters are relatable and very human. Although it is set in sci-fi, it still has a touch of the modern, like the internet, prosthetics and computerisation. It does not shy away from showing the gritty, rundown neighbourhoods and jobs versus the pristine offices and wealth of others. Like Ogres, the movie is an onion. Which is a nice little callback to Shrek. So thanks for that, Joe, And thanks to everyone for their social media comments on Ghost in the Shell. In the neon dystopian future Ghost in the Shell depicts, we can be enhanced. We base our lives around machines. We're constantly connected. This may be set in 2029, but the future of Ghost in the Shell is remarkably similar to 2021 in so many ways. In that respect, Ghost in the Shell, as forward thinking as it was, remains timeless a cyberpunk window into an existential soul. The impact of Ghost in the Shell on pop culture is so vast, but like all great science fiction, it comes with a stark warning. Embrace connectivity, but don't rely on it. Desire the latest gadgets, but don't depend on them. Take solace in your treasured memories, because they might not be real in 2029. Take value in you as an individual. Your self-awareness and your consciousness are valuable commodities. Don't let anyone take them away from you. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Ghost in the Shell. And if you do like this episode or any episode, uh, it would be great for me if you could take a moment to leave a rating or a review in your podcast app of choice. The other thing that you can do if you really want to support the show is you can spread the word, you can tell your friends, And you can subscribe to this podcast uh, in your podcast app of choice and make sure you get the next episode as soon as it becomes available. If you like this episode on Ghost in the Shell, you might also like episode 14, The Matrix, obviously, (laughs) because I wasn't not going to suggest The Matrix uh, on this episode. Episode 17, The Iron Giant, because I genuinely, genuinely am going to recommend it every single episode because it's such an underrated classic. I suppose it does talk about existentialism and souls and machines. Can a gun have a soul? Um, So I suppose it is kind of linked to Ghost in the Shell. 
and episode 28, Akira. Uh, I covered Akira last animation season. It was a really, really fun episode. It was with special guests, uh, Anita and Kira from the Unexceptionals podcast. And again, I mean, such a landmark in anime. One of the most groundbreaking animes. This, really, Akira and Ghost in the Shell are probably the two anime movies that people tend to go to first. And there's something special about both of them. Um, so if you like Ghost in the Shell, I can pretty much guarantee that you will also like Akira as well. As always, give me feedback on my recommendations. Now, the next episode, um, or episodes, should I say, uh, for there are three. It's Verbal Diorama's second birthday, uh, mid-February. And to celebrate, I am releasing three special anniversary episodes. Just like I did last year, when I brought out Hell's Moving Castle, Spirited Away and My Neighbour Totoro. This year I wanted to focus on Disney uh, and specifically the three first ages of Disney. The Golden Age, the Silver Age and the Bronze Age. And I basically picked a movie to cover from each of those three ages. So first up from the Golden Age of Disney, there was really only one, Hollywood's first full-length animated film, it was nicknamed Disney's Folly at the time, but it's now still one of the most popular and financially successful movies ever made, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs from 1937. From the Silver Age of Disney, uh, and the last movie that Walt worked on before his death, and also one of Disney's most popular movies still, uh, The Jungle Book from 1967, and from the Bronze Age, which is often called the Dark Age of Disney, uh, this was post the death of Walt Disney. And it also, they introduced cheaper production methods as well. Uh, there are many links with this movie and The Jungle Book. Um, but I really, really wanted to cover Robin Hood from 1973. These three episodes, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, The Jungle Book and Robin Hood, are coming out over three consecutive days, the 15th, 16th and 17th of February. Um, so make sure you look out for them. Uh, they are not being released early for patrons because obviously it's going to be quite a big task to try and get all these episodes done. Everyone will get them on the 15th, 16th and 17th of February. Um, and yeah, look out for them in your podcast app over those three days. Uh, and wish me luck in trying to get three episodes out in one week. Obviously I did it last year, so I'm pretty certain I can do it again, but we'll see. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can follow me obviously if you want to at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd I do have a Patreon which is patreon.com slash Verbal Diorama and if you would like to support the show financially uh, that would be wonderful but you are all, as always under no obligation if you would like to support the show um, you can go to patreon.com slash Verbal Diorama and a massive thank you to the patrons of this podcast they are Simon E, Sade, Hardy L, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristen, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Matt, Trevor and Scott. Uh, and a massive thanks to them for being connected to my network and not in a hacking kind of way. I do have a merch store. It's teespring.com slash stores slash verbal diorama. And you can buy t-shirts and hoodies and stuff. If you want to get in touch, you can verbaldiorama at gmail.com or over at verbaldiorama.com. 
And you can always pop over to filmstories.co.uk. You can always check out stuff that I'm writing on the website. You can buy a copy of the latest issue of the magazine, uh, which has Mark Commode on the front cover. I have a massive four-page article in that issue, which is issue 22, as well as my regular column. So make sure you check that out. And finally, and where does the newborn go from here? The net is vast and infinite. Bye. Movie should know.